Well, if you're newer to us, we as a church have been uh, bit by bit working our way through the Gospel of Luke. It's a book in your New Testament that talks about the, the life and ministry of Christ on earth. And we're looking at Jesus and what he did because, as you see, this changes everything. And as we continue in that this morning, I want to begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis. And I want to do that because I want this to be a good sermon. And Lewis is my boy. Like, yeah, I mean, you guys know I love C.S. Lewis. And, and so here's something he said that will rattle you maybe a little bit. He said, as perhaps you know, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Let that be a warning about where we're going this morning. Uh, This morning's passage is an uncomfortable passage, and it might have some of you looking at the door wondering if you can leave and go get a bottle of port, because after all, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Uh, But that's not really the solution. We stay, we stick. But if you stay, just know that it's it's an uncomfortable passage. We've worked our way through chapter 12, and today we begin in chapter 13, verse 1. And here's how it begins. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Doesn't that sound like a fun passage to talk about this morning? So that's what we're going to get into. Let let me give you a little bit of the history behind what's going on there. Remember, if you will, that Jesus is from the northern part of Israel called Galilee. He's done most of his ministry up there. Since chapter 9, he's turned south and he's marching toward Jerusalem. Now, there's some talk that he might be the Messiah, which means as they get toward Jerusalem, there could be a, a riot, a revolution going on. And so those traveling with him feel the need to warn Jesus about this guy named Pilate. It's because Pilate is a bad dude. He is the governor, but he's also kind of a thug. We know that not just from the New Testament, but also from the Jewish historian named Josephus, who would write about Pilate. And evidently, Pilate would do things seemingly deliberately just to infuriate the Jews over whom he ruled. And so at times there would be uprisings and riots. And so Pilate's habit was to crush it, swiftly, harshly decimate it. Because he feared an ongoing revolt and how that would reflect on him to Rome. So uh, the the story then goes like this. Here they are uh, in this story, a group of Galileans from the north going south to Jerusalem. And Pilate's there. So we ought to talk about this to Jesus, right? Because we just had another group from Galilee go down there to Jerusalem to worship. And while they were in the temple worshiping, 
Evidently, Pilate feared a revolt and he wiped them all out such that their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices in the temple. We don't know anything about that historical event other than this recording, but you get that it's horrific, right? Like that carries the implication of like a church massacre shooting on Easter. That kind of feeling. And it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And so, so because of that, this group of Galileans is, uh, marching south says, hey, Jesus, what about Pilate? Evidently, Jesus knows about that story already, and he adds another one to it. And he talks about this tower that fell and killed 18. So he talks about two horrific events. The first one is evil, Pilate wiping people out. The other one is just kind of this horrific tragedy that happened. But in either case, Jesus is poking at an assumption the Jews have. You see, the Jews had the assumption that if something bad happened to you, it's because you must have sinned. You did a whopper. God's mad at you. God is punishing you. That's why bad stuff is happening in your life. So if you get a cancer diagnosis, the question is, what big bad sin did you do? You must have, because that's what's happening here. You see that in John chapter 9, where there is a dude born blind, and they ask Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? We know somebody did. And Jesus says, neither. But that's the assumption that he's going at. It's the ultimate victim blaming going on here. So these Galileans get wiped out by Pilate. It must have been their fault. Pilate killed them. They must be sinful. So that's what's going on. So Jesus gives two examples of bad stuff happening. And he's got on the table kind of this question of, did it happen because they are sinners? And if you dissect what Jesus says, the answer is yes and no. Kind of both. Yes, they are all sinners and all deserving of death. But no, those to whom these tragedies happen, they are not uniquely so. They are not uniquely horrific sinners. They're just like you and me. Just like all of us. And that is a very uncomfortable, inconvenient truth. Jesus says these horrible things didn't happen to them because they are worse sinners, but equal sinners with you and me. Uh-oh, I don't like that implication. That doesn't sound very good for us. And he says, unless we all repent, we will all likewise perish. This is why Lewis says a bottle of port might make you happy, but Christianity won't. Sometimes Christianity is uncomfortable as it is in this passage. And so we look at these two tragedies, and in both of these tragedies, you understand life was cut short. So it, look, if, if Pilate didn't kill those Galileans, or the tower didn't fall on those 18, then what would happen? Would they live forever? No. They'd die later. They'd die later. So the point is that because of sin, everyone dies. You know the death rate is hovering right around 100%. Right? It's like a one-to-one -one ratio. You're born, you die. Everyone dies because of sin. And so the concerning aspect is not when you die or how you die or why you die. It's, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Something's coming. Everyone has to be concerned about this. Not just those two victims, the victims of those two tragedies. We're in the same boat with them. And so Jesus repeats that we will all likewise perish. If not by Pilate 
or by the tower, something else. You're not going to live forever. So you understand, you, you, can, you can cut out carbs and you can stop eating sugar and you can drink tons of water and eat your veggies and go gluten-free and wear your seatbelt and bubble wrap your life. But you're still going to die. You're still going to die. Maybe today. I'm not prophetic. Don't worry. Like, Pastor said we're all going to die. Now, I have no idea. But, but you're going to die sometime because we're all sinners and sinners die. Jesus is saying the ground is incredibly level. Okay? Nobody is a worse off sinner than anyone else. Okay, but notice the direction Jesus goes with that. It's not that we're all okay, it's that we're all screwed. That's his point. And so he says, you'd better get right with God. And the word he uses to emphasize that each time is he says, repent. The focus of this passage is repentance. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So yay, because like I, as a, every pastor's dream, I just hope I get to preach on repentance. This is great, right? And I'm sure you woke up this morning, you're driving into church, and you go, I hope today's message is on repentance. That'd be great. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Here we go, okay? That's what we're going to be talking about, repentance. Going to give you a couple bullet points here. Uh, first, repentance means a U-turn. means to make a U-turn. So all of us today, or at least most of us, have smartphones in our pocket, right? And now you've got Google Maps on there. Yeah, I have an iPhone. I don't use Apple Maps. Are you kidding me, right? So you use Google Maps if you're smart, and uh, you, you punch it in there, and it gets you where you want to go. I think this is the way women win. Because for decades, men, we wouldn't ask for directions, right? Have you noticed the voice is always a female's voice? Congratulations, women. You won, right? You beat us, right? There it is. So you punch it in, you get right. And when you do, you know, it gives you like the estimated time of arrival, which is like the time to beat, right, dudes? Right? Like, I can get there and I'm shaving minutes off watching a TikTok. Yeah, baby. I get it. I get it. And then, you know, when you make a wrong turn, what's it? it says rerouting. Rerouting, you know, you've experienced that. Have you ever experienced where you get so off course, it says turn around? Yeah. Have you gotten that? I get that time to time, right? Like, make a U turn. That is repentance. All right? Repentance means you are so far off course, you have no hope except to make a 180, a U-turn, an about face. You turn around. C.S. Lewis talked about this. <laughs> really good sermon, right? So two quotes. So Lewis said this. He said, we all want progress. But progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. He continues later, he says, there is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it is pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We are on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. So we like this idea of progress, being progressive, and 
We hate the things of the past and we don't want to go back. But look, if you're going the wrong way, the best way to make progress is to go back the right way. That is repentance. And it's reflective of what God says in his word in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Look at this. It says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Right? Pause there. It just means you're off track. You're wildly off track. You're going in the wrong direction, right? And what you need to do is repent. So look at the second sentence. He says, return, return to me. And there's a promise, and I will return to you. What a great promise. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, some of you won't want to repent. And the reason why is because you want to fit in with the world around you. And you don't want to stand out, right? You don't want to be the only one going upstream. you got to understand something. When your entire culture is like a pack of lemmings going over a cliff, the one who turns around as the oddball is in a good spot, right? Don't follow your culture over the cliff. That's stupid. Stand against the tide. Don't be a lemming. And this applies to all of us. Remember, we're all in the same boat here. We're squabbling over who dies and how and when and why, when at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And if you don't repent and return and connect with God, we're in trouble. So make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. That's the first bullet point. The second one is this. That is a U-turn of the mind and heart. Yes, it'll come out in actions. We'll talk about that toward the end of the message. But first is repentance means when in your heart and in your mind you are wrecked over your sin. Just decimated. To to feel the difference in that, I want you to imagine a husband comes home, says, honey, uh, I I need to let you know that I I found milk on sale. Uh, Also, I'll need you to pick Jimmy up from soccer practice tomorrow night. Uh, Oh, by the way, I had an adulterous affair. And uh, the reason why you need to pick Jimmy up tomorrow night is because I have a late meeting. I'll get home late. Okay, contrast that with the husband who is so broken and so wrecked over his sin that he is on his knees. He knows he's blown it. He is sobbing. The kind of sobbing where snot's flinging all over, right? He's that kind of brokenness and he'll do anything to save his marriage. One of those guys is repentant, one is not. It's where you're wrecked over your sin. See, repentance sounds kind of hard and harsh, like it's punishment. But listen, when you are convinced that you are wrong, turning around is not punishment. Turning around is blessing and freedom and joy and gratitude. It's a good thing. If you think repentance is punishment, then you're not convinced you're going the wrong way. You think you might be right and God might be wrong. See what's wrong in your heart and mind? You're off there. Your heart and mind has not changed. So repentance is where I agree with God that my sin is sin and sin stinks. It's not mere sorrow that I got caught or there's consequences. Listen, if if you knew you could do it over again, that's sin. You could do it, and you knew you wouldn't get caught and there wouldn't be consequences. Would you do it? If so, then your mind and heart hasn't really changed. That's not repentance. Okay, think about this. Repentance, I'll give you a, a, a list here. Repentance is where I say in my mind and my heart this right here. I say, my sin is horrible. 
My sin is horrible. It's a violation of the glory of God, and it's an abomination in the universe. It's a stain on creation. My sin. It's joining Satan in his vile rebellion against God himself. And my sin is what put Jesus on that cross. It killed Jesus. Oh, by the way, my sin is killing me. And it's killing the people around me. And it's my fault. No more blaming others. It's my fault. It's me. See, in that moment, I am on my knees in repentance. I am gripped with grief because I'm out of step with God himself. And in God is life and sin is death. And I'm, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? That's repentance. Mark Driscoll puts it this way. He says, you don't minimize it. You don't hide it in shame. You don't excuse it. You don't tolerate it. You don't nurture it. You don't embrace it. You don't defend it. I would add to that that you know what you do? You hate it. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That is a shift in the mind and heart. That I come to a point where I hate my sin, it is evil, and I cling to what is good. And listen, if you still love evil and hate good, that's not repentance. Like it, it, it does, It'll come out in your actions, but it starts in your mind and heart where I'm still thinking, no, my sin might be okay. That's not hating evil. The way you know when you start to get it is repentance becomes sweet. Oh, sweet repentance. Yeah, there might be weeping and tears and snot flying. I get it. But at the same time, it's coupled with joy and gratitude and freedom. Think of yourself as a fish that's flopping its way up onto the beach. Sand is starting to stick to you. You're starting, your gills are just puffing for air. You're going to die. Repentance is sweet because it's where you do a 180 and you get back in that water, the glory of God, and you swim in the freedom that you were created toward. Repentance is sweet. To be back where I'm supposed to be. Sweet. Now, it is not only of the mind and heart. So let me give you a third bullet here. Repentance is now, not later. Okay? So let's say I'm convicted from God about my sin, and it sounds like this. Stop drinking the poison. It's going to kill you. Stop drinking the poison, right? I can have a couple responses. One, I can say, thank you, God, very much. Repentance of mind and heart, and I realize that my sin is poison. I don't want to drink poison. I don't want to die. I'm thankful for sweet conviction. And I hate what is evil, and I cling to what is good. That's the first option. Uh, The second option is where I tell God to quit bothering me. I'm committed to drinking poison. It's going to kill me. But I tell God to quit quit bothering me. There is a third option though. It's actually just a reiteration of the second, but we get trapped in it all the time and it looks like this. Okay, God, I will quit drinking the poison tomorrow. Tomorrow. Then what's going on in my mind and heart? I must not really think it's poison, right? Like I don't want to drink poison for, who wants to drink poison for another day? That's stupid. So I must not think it's Poison. I'm not hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. I think I'm smarter than God for at least one more day. See, if I don't repent today, what I'm doing is I'm building up another layer of habit of sin, more calluses on my heart that makes it less likely that I'll actually repent tomorrow. Because you understand tomorrow never comes. 
You only get to repent in a today. It'll always be today. Theoretically, tomorrow never comes. And so repentance is now, not later. And then uh, the next bullet point of, of repentance is this. That it's not just one and done. Okay, so repentance gets talked about in two senses. The first is one and done in the sense that when you uh, realize for the first time that Christianity is not about religion, it's about a relationship with God, and you put your faith in Christ, that's when you're born again, adopted in the family, one and done. You don't ever have to repent like that again, you're in. But then there is the second sense of repentance, and it's every stinking day. Repentance over and over and over. Martin Luther said that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. All of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Yes, that's how you become a Christian, but then it's also how you grow day after day, turning back to God. Now, some of you, there's a sin probably in your life right now that you're feeling convicted of, and and one of the things you want to say is, but I know I'll blow it. I know I'll blow it. Yeah, you probably will. Okay, but a couple things. Number one, don't factor God out. Like, God does amazing things in people's lives. Maybe you'll actually, uh, uh, like, heal in that area. Maybe you won't blow it, okay? Or, or secondly, make sure you're sincere in your mind and in your heart that you're truly hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. But then thirdly, what if you do blow it again? Then what we do as disciples of Christ is we live a life of continual repentance day after day after day until you make it. We have a lot going on in our church in terms of addiction recovery ministry. It's gorgeous. I love what is happening here. One thing is you, you, you never quit quitting, right? Because sometimes you, you quit and then, and then you mess up. Well, you quit again. You never quit, whether you're stopping cigarettes or drinking or substance abuse. Maybe it's pornography. I don't know what it is in your life. You never quit quitting. There's repentance day after day after day. And so it is for me. I, um, ever since I came to faith, it seems like over the decades, I've had this unholy trinity in my life. I call it my pal. P-A-L, pride, anger, and lust. Those three. I repent of those over and over and over. Now, lately, I'm getting to a point where I feel like I'm, I'm doing, like, I'm making some growth and holiness and, and in sanctification there. And so I'm good, God, right? No, son, we just resolved those. Now we can work on other issues. So a couple weeks ago, God hit me upside the head with bitterness. And I realized that for decades, I've had a stream of bitterness coursing through my heart. And so now it's P-A-L-B, which is Paul, but I don't know if that spells anything. So I got I to gotta fix that somehow. But now, now I'm working on bitterness. So I'm repeatedly repenting of bitterness in my life. It's not one and done. Now, some of you are like, dude, you're a pastor. You're on video. This goes on the internet. How did you just admit those publicly? Let me tell you why. Because of this last bullet, repentance is not a private thing. It can't be. AA knows that, right? Like we've got a great Alcoholics Anonymous group happening here on Thursday nights. And so I want you to imagine uh, an addict who wants to get clean and he says, listen, I don't want anyone to know. I don't want to go to the groups. I don't want a sponsor. I'm going to do this on my own. Every addict in the room just chuckled because you know he ain't going to make it right? He 
He ain't going to make it. Contrast that with the dude who's in the rooms day after day, week after week, doing the work, openly broken, and getting help from others. That guy's got a shot. And it's reflective of what the Scripture says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Look at this. It says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so what happens at our AA group is so breathtakingly beautiful. Sometimes a non-addict shows up and they are just stunned by it. Just back on Thursday, there was a lady who uh, took her sister. Her sister's an addict, wants to get clean, didn't have a ride. That lady took her sister to the group. The non-addict lady came out and said, I just, can I keep going? Where do I buy drugs so I can become an addict? No, no, don't do it that way. No, <laughs> that's not the route, okay? But there's something going on in those meetings that is just beautiful. Because all of us, if you're not addicted to a substance, you're addicted to some sort of sin, and you know it, and you know you're broken. And there's a group that is just being so open about its brokenness, and everyone's loved. And they're healing in the midst of it. And how do I get in on that? Repentance is where I declare not just to God, but also to others. It's not a private thing. And I say, I'm a mess. My God is awesome. I'm not hiding it. The sin I deal with is blank. Fill it in. I don't know what your pal is. You fill it in. And you say, I need help. I need prayers. Here's what I'm dealing with. Oh, it's not a private thing. And what you will find out in that moment is that other people are just as messed up as you are. And you're just as messed up as they and, and I'll tell you what, that is something that I want for Redemption Chapel, not just on Thursday nights at AA. I want it in our community groups, and I want it at every men's Bible study table, every woman's Bible study table. I want that. Oh, it'd be beautiful. But that's repentance. Right? So, so here's what we looked at. Look at the bullet points. It's a U-turn of the mind and heart. It's now, not later. It's not one and done, and it's not a private thing. So the way it works then is that God convicts and we repent. My guess is God's doing his part. Are you doing your part? Are you repenting? And, and there's a way we can tell because what's going to happen next in our scripture passage after Jesus talks about this, he's going to give us a story to kind of tease out an aspect of this. This is the last part of our scripture. Continuing in verse 6, says this. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Okay, did it just get more uncomfortable? Lop that thing off, cut it down, right? I think I just need a bottle of port. That's what will make happen. No, Christianity's tough. It's tough sometimes. But the, of course, the relief is that the Bible just said manure. And I'm so juvenile. I'm stuck in junior high, man. Like, but yeah, that's, that's one of the places the Bible says manure. So memorize that verse, right? Good. 
What this passage is about, though, is the fruit of repentance. The first part of our scripture passage was on the fact that you need to repent. This second part is on the fruit of that repentance. Let me get at it this way. I'm a bit of a grammar snob. I love when things... I make my share of mistakes, too. But I like when things are done correctly. And so uh, a common mistake in grammar in the religious realm is to confuse two words. There are these two words right here. Alter and alter. Okay? Now the first one, altar, uh, is the religious space where you connect with God and worship Him. The second one is to make a change, to alter something, alterations. Okay? And, and so I'll have somebody email me about a we- wedding and say, hey, uh, when we go up to the altar the second word there, and I'll be like, no, wrong word, you need to repent, because that's wrong, okay? So, so here's the thing, though. I wonder if those two words shouldn't be interchangeable. Because, look, when you go to the altar, it ought to alter. There ought to be change. There ought to be fruit in your life. Let me be straight with you. I think a lot of us want the altar without the altar. And that is a problem that Jesus is poking at right now. God expects fruitfulness in our lives as Christians. Now, that means a couple things. First, that means sanctification and growth and holiness that shows in your life the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, pay, and it goes on, right? So there ought to be fruit in your life, character growth. But then secondly, there ought to be kingdom impact. This is where God uses you to create fruit in other people's lives, where you serve and you give and you reach out. But I'll tell you, it won't happen without some Christian activities and disciplines. So what you need to do is you need to yourself be in prayer and in the word on your own each day as a disciple. You need to be in fellowship where you're known and loved. Some of you are doing the Lone Ranger Christian thing. It doesn't work, okay? It's fruitless. Uh, And then you also need to reach out to others, be a part of the expanding kingdom. You need to serve. You need to give. And you're hearing these disciplines. You're going, time out. I don't have the time for that. I can't afford that. Look back at our passage for a second. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to do those things. Because see, what happens is when God comes along and finds a tree that claims to be his but is fruitless, he gets busy and he does some stuff. And that stuff hurts. First, he digs around the roots. Okay? What that does is loosen the soil so the roots can expand, but also lets water and nutrients into the roots. Sometimes God's digging around your roots and you don't like it. You know what's even worse? When he starts pruning. Okay? Have you ever seen a, a, a shrub or a tree that has been like really pruned? That thing's ugly. It's ugly, right? And then what happens if it's alive is it explodes in growth. Blossoms and fruit, it's just wonderful. Sometimes God is hacking back at your life, cutting out bad stuff so that you can grow. And you know the third thing he tends to do to you? He throws crap at you. That's biblical, all right? He throws manure on your life. Now that manure, is, it stinks and it's hard and you don't like, but it's fertilizer for growth. It's there so that you can grow. But then what if you stay fruitless? The answer is God says, cut it down. 
Why would he cut it down? Listen, I want you to hear this real clearly. God doesn't cut the tree down because it's fruitless. He cuts it down because it's dead. It'll never be fruitless. Oh, excuse me, it'll never be fruitful. Its only use is as firewood. Cut it down and let some other plant take its place. And you say, time out. What if it's just dormant? What if it's just had a hard season? You understand, it's had three years. Now he's digging and, and pruning and fertilizing. and gives another year. If it doesn't produce fruit, it is dead. I want you to hear this very clearly today. You are not going to fool God with your religious words and your fruitless life. It's just not going to happen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, is when John the Baptist is speaking to the Pharisees. And look at what he says there. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And what was happening at that time is the Pharisees, because they were Jews, they were certain they were okay with God, even though they had fruitless lives. And John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I, I'm afraid that some of us maybe think that because we bear the name Christian, we must be okay with God. Because I got baptized, I raised my hand, I prayed the prayer, I went forward, whatever it was, and I have a fruitless life. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Now listen, it's a little bit heavier. I said it's uncomfortable today. But I want you to know something. Repentance, remember, it is sweet. Because it leads to fruitfulness in your life. It leads to blessing and reconnection. But that's not bad. Don't follow the lemmings off the cliff. That's blessing. Uh, let me tell you about Romania. So Romania in the 1900s, uh, the Christians in Romania were called repenters. And the reason why, because of the one and done aspect, they put so much emphasis that when you came to Christ in conversion, that you repented at that time. So Christians were called repenters. What happened by the 1970s is that the Christians in Romania looked a lot like the non-Christians. They had some national sins, a lot of drunkenness, and a lot of lying, particularly lying to their employers, many others as well. And the Christians were just like the non-Christians in that way. And so there was one godly pastor who felt led by the Lord to have a repeated theme in his sermons. He started just, just pound this drum over and over. He said, let the repenters repent. The repenters must repent. The repenters must repent. And that started, I'll tell you what, they, it wasn't private, it was public. And they started to have a revival where they were forsaking their national sins. They covenanted together that they're not going to give to drunkenness and, and to lying. And it, it, it was revolutionized the church. It became so attractive that other people were like, we look at AA, I want in on that. And so people came to faith and got baptized in droves, planted a Bible college. And as a result, that Bible college became the foremost sender of Christian leaders to all of Eastern Europe for decades. Like, this is blessing. This is not bad stuff. But I want you to know something. It starts with the people of God. When we hear the word repent, we get this image of some dude, an old dude in like a brown polyester suit, big thick leather Bible, yelling at the sinners out there. No. 
It starts with the people of God being honest and real and humble and, and not having a foot on both sides, but that we say the repenters must repent. And I just want to end by sharing with you one of my greatest fears as a pastor of Redemption Chapel. It's that our church is really cool and we have a great band. And, and my, my fear is, and I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account. Uh, my fear is that uh, if you think you need to go to an altar, you're going to go, this is a really cool altar and I really love it here. And so you're going to come here and you're going to have altar without altar. And then a lot of people are going to come because it's cool and a great band. And therefore, we got a lot of people who think they're okay with God and they're not. And I'm just begging you today that you would repent. And so I want to pray for that. In fact, do me a favor, bow your heads right now. And if you are a person that perhaps right now today, you want to repent for the first time, you want to do the one and done one, where you're going to reconnect with God for the first time, I want you to go ahead, where you are, stand right now. And then I also want to give an opportunity, listen, as Martin Luther said, the whole Christian's life is one of repentance. And so maybe there's something going on in your life. You, you, you're already walking with you. You know him. You're his child. But you know there's something you've got to repent of. I want you to stand right now as well. Go ahead and stand in repentance. And let me pray for us. Father, I, I want to come before you. And I want to thank you that you are gracious enough to us that we, and we are going with the lemmings heading toward a cliff. You beg us to turn around. And I want to ask right now, maybe there's some who are still sitting there like, no, it's time. I want to beg you, Lord, move on their lives such that they would repent. We would repent. All of us would repent every day. Moving back to you, our Father. Going home. We want to go home. Thank you for your grace. And I want to ask right now, all of you would stand. Let's stand together. Father, we want to worship you. We want to love you right now. Receive our worship and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.